Amen. Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here with us. If you are visiting, I'm Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors. Um, we, uh, as you see my shirt, we are a church. We, we deeply desire to be a value to our neighborhood, to our city, to our communities. We believe that the church was put here to reach the lost, that the church doesn't exist for itself. Uh, I mean, for eternity, we are going to exist worshiping and fellowshipping, and it's going to be amazing. But since we're still on this earth, we believe we're here to change the world around us, to reach the lost, to, to improve the lives, to serve. Uh, Daniel, when he was, he was sent out, Daniel and many others were sent out from their nation of, of Israel into Babylon. God said, pray for the wealth of the city you're in. You should be a blessing wherever you go and seek the welfare of that place. And so in that note, this past week was a great week. Uh, Friday, yesterday, there was a cleanup day down in Indian Hills and a lot of you showed up. Um, what they do is they bring their, you can bring your trash in and, and go through and throw it in these big dumpsters. And we had so many of you there. David, you told me that it was one car every two minutes. Yeah. And how many cars total? A hundred cars went through, and because of, of you guys helping, it was a big deal. Uh, and then also, while people are waiting in line to go through, we had coffee and donuts, and so the kids were helping hand out coffee. Yeah, kids were helping, and that was really neat, seeing that. Now, Friday night, there was the foster parent night out. So those who are foster parents in Carson City got a, a date night, and our youth with Timothy went to Hope Crossing Church and helped watch the kids. So they were babysitting so these parents could have a date night. What's exciting about that is Timothy and, and our kids helped serve, but it was also in partnership with another church in town. Because uh, again, that's one of our big values is we want to be part of the community, the kingdom, not just a church in town. And then also this week, the Dream Center had their food drive. And we brought 330-ish pounds of food to be part of that drive. And again, a lot of that, yeah, yeah, that's big. A lot of that was our youth also. That was the rest of us. Good job, but, but that was our youth as well. So God is moving. He's moving here. He's moving through us. And it's exciting to be part of what he's doing. So step out or step up. Anyway, let me pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the way that you do love us. Thank you for your word that is so fresh, uh, when we come to it humbly, when we come to it ready to learn, uh, it cuts through our heart, it cuts through our soul, and it speaks to our minds. You can touch us through your word in a way that we can't be touched by much else. And I pray that you would touch us through your word this morning, that we would respond in the way that you would have us respond, that we would be prepared right now already to say yes to whatever it is that you ask from us. And I pray that we would fall deeper in love with you as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are going to be in the book of James. So if you have a Bible, grab it, open to James. We're going to be in James chapter 4. Now, kids, here in the room, you're part of this. I'm going to be talking to you. So there's going to be a main point of the sermon that we're going to see in this passage in James 4. If you can tell me the main point at the end of the service, you're going to get a treat, okay? So I'm going to say it. I'm going to say this one sentence several times through the sermon. And if you hear it, and, and by the way, it's taught throughout the entire sermon. So if you hear it, write it down. Uh, you have clipboards there that you can take notes on. Write down maybe what, what you think it is. And afterward, if you can come tell me, you can get a treat. Um, but we're going to start with a game. It's a game of opposites. I'm going to say a word, and you tell me the opposite. Tall. Old. Young. 
I didn't point at anybody. <laughs> um, let's see, fast. Okay, smart. That was our youth pastor. <laughs> um, coward. Brave, yeah, yeah. Um, joy. Okay. Peace. Destruction, war. Okay. Life. Godliness. What I hear over here? Nailed it. Worldliness. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Godliness, what's the opposite? The opposite of godliness is worldliness. And that's the topic of James 4 in the first 10 verses. We're going to see James talking about worldliness and godliness. Now, here's a, here's a question. Can godliness and worldliness exist within the same person? It's a tough question. Can godliness and worldliness exist in the same person? How about this? Can godliness and worldliness both have control in the same person at the same time? Yeah, no. I, I, if Jesus is in control, Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So, so Paul seemed to think that you could walk in godliness as long as God is in control. But how can a Jesus follower experience God's blessing and walk in consistent victory over sin and worldliness? That's what we're going to look at today. How can we glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all the time, consistently, rather than being worldly, godly, or maybe mostly worldly, or a little bit of godly? How can we walk in a way that glorifies Him at all times? Look at James 4. I'm going to read the verses, and then we'll go through this. James 4, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We look through here and we see that James wants us to understand that we should find all we need in Jesus and stop pursuing worldliness and sin. We need to find all we need in Jesus. Now, if you are visiting or, or you haven't been here in a while, I have great news. This is one of the most difficult messages we're going to have. So um, hang on tight. Things will get a little bit nicer coming forward. But the book of James is really a punch in the face every single week. And so I'm surprised so many people are still coming. Um, because James, 
isn't so much concerned about salvation. Like Paul talks a lot about salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. James is more concerned about what's happening after salvation. James is more concerned with what the Bible would call sanctification, which is the process by which we become more like Jesus. Sin gains less control. Jesus gains more control. It's called sanctification. And James seems to think that if you're a genuine Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're going to become more and more like Jesus. You're going to look differently. And this letter is written to some Christians who are not living differently. Some Christians who are living like the world. And James, we talked about this last week, he seems to be a little bit ticked off about it. Because James's half-brother is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the ones who took the sin of all humanity on his shoulders, died on the cross, rose from the dead. He then appeared to many, appearing to James. James then believed. And now there's all these people going, hey, your brother's awesome. We love him. He's our Lord and Savior, but we're going to do whatever we want. And James was like, uh-uh. That's not the way it works. And so James wants to help us walk rightly. Sanctification. But here's what we need to understand about sanctification. Because I asked, and, and some of us waffled on the question, can worldliness and godliness exist at the same time in the same person? Sanctification is a street fight. The process of becoming like Jesus is a street fight. Right here, we can feel kind of good, right? But as soon as we walk out there into life, as soon as we walk into work, as soon as we walk out and look at our checkbook and look at all our bills, as soon as we go into school, it is a street fight. Because we've got the Holy Spirit in us and we've got God wanting us to walk rightly and he wants the best for us. He wants to, us to have abundant life. But then there's the world saying, no, these things will satisfy you. Come try this. This is better. Don't follow Jesus. That's a bunch of junk. Look at science. Evolution is clearly true. And it's a street fight. And then, even more, there's a fight within you. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to see evidence of worldliness. We're going to see the root of worldliness. And then we're going to see the response to worldliness. James does a pretty good job of laying this out, but that's what we're going to see. Uh, the, the evidence of worldliness in our lives, the source of it, and then what to do about it. So let's look back real quick at verses one and two. First, we see the evidence of worldliness. And what is it? What do you see in verses one and two? Elise, are you reading your Bible? So you don't know. Well, you just keep listening anyway. <laughs> what you see in verses one and two is quarrels, and fights. Quarrels and fights. This is evidence. Any of you ever had a, a fight lately? Anybody ever bickered with somebody? Maybe a, a sibling? <laughs> yeah. What, and what do we fight about? Um, the last cookie. I, I want the last cookie. No, I want the last cookie. We're fighting over that. Or, or in marriage, we can fight. Where are we going to spend our money? Maybe today when church is over, the family goes, okay, we're going to go out to eat. Where are we going to go? Well, I want to go to McDonald's. Well, I want to go to Panda Express. Fights and quarrels. Now, if this is part of your life, it is evidence of worldliness. Now, fights and quarrels, they cause problems. It's, it's no fun living in fights and quarrels. But the, the issue is deeper. It's kind of like a smell. You, you walk into a room and you're like, something smells in this room. And then you got to figure out what it is. You know, is it a, a mildewy towel that was wet and shoved under? Did the cat pee on something? Did the dog poo somewhere? It, you know, there's the smell, and the smell is no good, but the smell is not the problem. The problem is whatever that is. Fights and quarrels are the smell, but then what's the root of that problem? Look with me. The root of worldliness. 
Also in verse 1, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What is the root of our fights and quarrels? Our passions, our desires. And this word here, some of you have a different translation, calls it lust. This is never a good thing. This isn't a desire for a nice cold drink of water. This isn't a desire for quality family time. These are sinful desires. These are passions. These are things like, I want power. I want pleasure. I want money. I want influence. It's, it's these things. Often in the Bible, you can wrap up sin into fame, fortune, power, pleasure. But James wants us to know that we can find all we need in Jesus and stop pursuing sin in the world. Kids, you paying attention? Find all we need in Jesus. Stop pursuing worldliness and sin. And here's the root. It's within us. The root is our ungodly passions, our desires that we seek to satisfy. Paul, Paul said it very well. I'm going to read what Paul writes on this same topic. You don't have to turn there. But in Romans 7, Paul writes this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Can anybody relate to this? This battle that I want to walk with God. I want to obey my parents. I want to get along with my siblings. I want to do right at work. But then I also have these other desires. And there's this battle. I'm telling you, it's a street fight within us. And that's what he says. Here's, here's worldliness carried out in you. It's your desires. And then you're fighting to fulfill those desires. And it's coming out as you're going at each other, fighting over who gets shotgun when you go out to the car. You find yourselves, and this goes back to last week's passage, operating by worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom that says, pursue these things, that says you should be happy. By the way, you'll never find that in Scripture, that your primary goal in life is to be happy. The world will lead you in a different way. And so Paul talks about this battle. Uh, I was recently talking to a, a fellow believer um, on the job site, and we were just talking, and, uh, and he, he said, you know, there's saving faith. There's, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. So there's like two parts of this spirituality or whatever he said. There's two parts. There's believing and being saved. And then there's working hard to live in a way that glorifies him. And I went, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, yes. So yes, we're saved by grace, by belief in Jesus alone. And then there's this battle of life of trying to walk in a way that glorifies him. But it's not us going and trying hard. And that's why I said, I said, you know, I might adjust that a little bit. I get what you're saying. And I agree because there is effort. I said, but I would maybe lean more toward what, what Jesus said. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so rather than going and trying hard to then glorify God, you need to try hard to cling tightly to Jesus. You need to try hard to abide in him. You need to connect relationally and intimately with him. And then the rest of the stuff will carry out a little bit easier. It's still a battle, absolutely. But we see here that, that James is telling us to find all we need in Jesus, 
but stop pursuing worldliness and sin. So this battle is within us. Here's a question. Can we mature to a point where we don't have this battle anymore? Will we get to a point in this life where there isn't this battle of flesh and sin? We, we won't. As Paul says, and as James said, he said, these passions are at war within you. We will never outgrow sinful passions. We can mature past sinning all the time. We can get to the point where we're not giving in, but the battle will always be there. Here's a lot of times how you see it in a Christian. They get really good at, they start winning certain battles over, over pride, or not pride, but other things in their life, and then it leads to pride. So then they have this new temptation of pride of, look how good I am, but we'll never get over it. So... It's important to understand that so that we can have the proper response to worldliness. Rather than thinking we just need to mature and get past it, we're always going to deal with the temptations. So what is the proper response? Look at verse 2 and 3. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So we could start to think, well, God just, he doesn't want us to be happy. He doesn't want to give us good things. Actually, God wants to give us all good things that says elsewhere in scripture. He has all these things prepared to give to us. And the problem a lot of times is people don't ask. It could be that. We could have these desires for good things. And instead of asking God, we sinfully go and fight and try and get what we want rather than just going, God, I would love to have this. Will you please give that to me? So one of the first responses is we need to start praying, going to God. But here's the other problem. A lot of times these people, and we don't have this problem, I know, but they had a problem of they would, when they would pray, they would ask for selfish things to fill their pleasures. Now, you guys don't deal with that, but they did. So just pretend, you know, they dealt with that. So they would pray, God, give me a great job to make a lot of money so I can have a great car and a great house Rather than seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will come. It's not bad to have a comfortable house. It's not bad to have a reliable car. Those are good things. But if, if I'm praying that God will give me all this money so I can fulfill these desires, there's something off there. Rather than how can I be best serving the kingdom and serving you? So here's the first thing, and this is in your notes. The proper response to worldliness. Stop thinking it's okay to fulfill ungodly or sinful desires. Stop it. Our world, our culture will tell you, you deserve these things. We Americans are all about our rights. I deserve this. I mean, for, let's just talk about me. I deserve a really comfy bed and at least three pillows when I'm sleeping. Um, one goes under the head, one goes in the arm, one goes between. It's awesome. But, but I deserve that because, you know, I, I work hard. I deserve that. I deserve a really good breakfast every single day. You, you know what I mean? We feel like we deserve these things. I deserve the respect of my kids. I deserve the love of my wife. And so we, we take, and some of these are good things, but stop thinking we deserve these things. I mean, really, as we understand the gospel, what we deserve is eternity separated from God in hell. But through Jesus' grace, through God's grace poured out through Jesus, we get salvation. We get eternity united with him in glory. It's paradise. Free from sin once we get our new bodies. Wow. I'm not going to get what I deserve. Thank God. So let your mind be changed. This is the first start. Let your mind be changed. We get so stuck. And this is hard. Kids, you go to school. 
Some of you watch TV. Some of you watch the commercials. And I remember being a kid and watching the commercials. And I'm like, oh, look at that Hot Wheels track. The cars can go around like this, and then they go, and then they go through this electric thing. And it's like, zing, I have to have that. You know, and then I get that for Christmas or whatever. And then you're watching, and then it's the radio control car. And I'm like, I got to have that too. So the world tells us all these things we need to have and that we deserve to have. Change your mind. I'm going to tell you right now, the world is wrong. The world is wrong. The world will not fulfill. Jesus will fulfill. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The world never promises that. It says it does, but it never delivers. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, meaning come work for me in a loving relationship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The world will promise those things, and it will fail. Kids, you have a great opportunity. I'm glad you're here listening to this. All you kids, look at me real quick. You're going to hear things in school. You're going to hear things as you get older going, this is what will fulfill you. If it's not centered in Scripture, if it's not centered around Jesus Christ, it is a lie, and it is designed to lead you from God toward pain. Do you get that? Okay, good. So here's, the, let your mind be changed. Ravi Zacharias has a great quote that I like. He says this, the loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced what you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has just let you down. The loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has just let you down. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. The richest man to ever live, King Solomon. He tried it all out. He tried the pleasure thing. He tried the money thing. He tried building gardens and constructing stuff. He tried practicing wisdom while drinking a little bit too much. He tried all these things. And at the end, he said, vanity of vanities. None of what the world gives will provide. None of it will fulfill. And the very end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this. Here's the end of the matter. After this whole book of going, I tried this, didn't work. I tried that, it didn't work. None of this makes sense. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He figured it out. He tried the worldly way, and he landed back on fear God and keep his commandments. We've already talked about that. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Listen, find all you need in Jesus. Stop pursuing worldliness and sin. If you're here, and as Paul said at the beginning, you're not a believer. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've gone, if I say yes to Jesus, I have to say no to the world. I have to say no to certain things. Let me tell you, those things won't fulfill anyway. Let today be the day of salvation. Say yes to Jesus. The only thing separating you from God, a relationship now, is your own sin. The only, only thing separating you from eternity in heaven with him, and with, I'll be there, and, and with others in here, is your own sin. And there's, your sin is a debt you can't pay. It's an infinite debt, but Jesus paid that sin on the cross. We don't fully understand all of that. But Jesus, the God-man, died on the cross. When he did, the sins of the world were laid on his shoulders. Paul says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Or it says, confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Then you get to enter this battle with us. Then you get to go into the street fight of becoming like Jesus. Because right now you're in a street fight, but you're just getting beat up by a bully in an alley. Because you have no power to fight against the world. You don't have the spirit fighting with you. And here's the other one in your notes. Believe that if you are committed to your sinful desires, you are God's enemy. This is scary. Look at verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Believe that if you are committed to your sinful desires, your worldly ways, you are God's enemy. That is really scary. James is blunt. He calls them adulterous people. Uh, I taught at camp last week or two weeks ago. And one of the things I asked the kids, I said, imagine this. A man asks a, a woman to marry him. And he says, I'm going to marry you and I'm going to love you forever. But I kind of want three or four girlfriends on the side. I'm like, you okay with that? And all the kids, of course, I mean, it's a bunch of junior highs. Boo! Of course, that makes no sense. But right here, James calls them adulterous people. I mean, it's the same thing as a husband going off, having some girlfriends, unfaithfulness. The Christians seeking to fulfill th themselves, their desires in the world, are like adulterous people. And here's, here's the response to that, and this is kind of awesome. But we're going to see a couple things about God now. Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealousy, jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. This is a difficult verse to interpret, but, but basically it means this. God looks at you, if you are one of His people, and by the way, you can be simply by believing in Jesus, giving your life to Him. But He looks at you and He is jealous for you. A loving jealousy. <laughs> You know, like, a, I want you close to me. I love you so much. I want you close to me. Stop pursuing other, the, all these other things you think will fulfill. They're only going to fall short, and you're going to be starving and hungry and alone. Come to me. I love you. I'm jealous for you. That is love. That is our God. He jealously longs for you. So when you are out on the Internet or doing whatever you're doing, trying to fulfill your desires over here, God is looking at you, and his heart is breaking. He says, I'm jealous for you. I died for you. I bought you as my bride. I'm jealous for you. But here's something else. I love this. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it said God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is unmerited favor. Now a lot of times when we think of grace, we sing the song Amazing Grace. It's the grace that we are given salvation because of Jesus that we don't deserve. That's grace. But there's another grace. James is talking about a different grace. James is talking about the grace, the free gift that God gives to us through his spirit that we can now actually walk rightly. It, it's a different grace. By grace we are saved, yes, and by grace we walk in holiness. We don't walk in our own righteousness. We don't walk because we're good enough now if I walk in a day that glorifies God, that was his grace because he lived in and through me. His grace. And he gives that grace. But he doesn't give it to everybody. Who receives that grace? Not just for salvation, but then to walk rightly? It's the humble. The humble. Meaning we have to be willing to be broken. We have to be willing to set our pride aside and go, I don't fully understand everything. I am sinful. I need help. It's the, the humble that receive his grace. And here now... James is going to go into a, a little bit of a tirade, and he's going to unleash 10 commands on his readers. These 10 commands, after we understand that we can walk rightly, by God's grace, if we humbly receive his, his grace, now what do we do? How do we do this? Verse 6 and 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It begins by humbly submitting to God. Humbly submit to God. By the way, submission is not obedience. This is interesting. Submission is not just obedience. Submission 
It's the surrendering of one's will that then leads to obedience. Submission is not knowing everything, but going, God, you know more, you love me, I trust you. Now whatever you say, I will obey because I've already submitted to you. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. So when he tells you something you didn't expect, you then obey because you've already submitted. You've already surrendered your will to him. And then resist the devil. These temptations that come our way, after we've submitted, these temptations come and we resist them. That comes after submission. You're going to fail in your battle against the enemy. The enemy is the tempter. He wants to lead us to sin and we will fail. We will lose if we haven't first submitted to Jesus. When we're submitted to him, it's like we're eating this great steak meal and Satan is coming over here with stale popcorn going, huh, huh, you want some of this? You want some of this? Well, when we're submitted to God with this great meal, we can resist that. But when we're not walking with him and we're hungry looking for what can fulfill, maybe that stale popcorn will serve us for a little bit. But we resist the devil as we submit to God. And then we do something else. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He starts there by saying, draw near to God. Draw near. That's what I talked about earlier about abiding. Come close to Jesus. You know, he's talking about, this is kind of a, a husband-wife relationship where he's talking about draw near. Get close to Jesus. You, Jesus follower, draw near to him. Whether that's getting up early, spending time in word and prayer, uh, coming on Sunday, that's part of it. Do whatever it takes to abide, draw near to God because he promises to then draw near to you. And James calls them sinners and double-minded. <sighs> James is blunt. <laughs> James is so loving. You know, every now and then a good friend will grab another friend who's walking wrongly and just shake them. Like, what you're doing is not good for you. You're going to ruin your family. You're going to ruin your life. And that's such a loving thing to do. James is doing that to us. He's grabbing us and just shaking us. Get your eyes off the world. It won't fulfill. Only Jesus will fulfill. So be done with your sin and your worldliness. He's so loving. And so he then gives us this. He says, you sinners, you double-minded, makes us look. He says, repent. Repent of your sins. This isn't the repentance unto salvation, which we must do. But even Christians... When we sin, we must repent. This is a bold call to repentance, a blunt call to repentance. This is in your notes. Get serious and repent of your sin. Look at what he tells them to do. He says, be wretched, verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Stop laughing about your sin. Stop being okay and laughing. Your sin is going to kill you. Uh, but let, let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. You know, the picture here, if you remember Jonah, when he went to Nineveh and he, and he preached their destruction was coming, they repented. And how'd they do it? The king all the way down. They, they took off their nice soft clothes. They put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes and dumped it on their heads. A humble sign of repentance, of woe is me. I am lost in and of my own strength. That is what we must do, Christians. Stop, you know, why... This fires me up because why is the church so apathetic? Why is the North American church not growing? Because we Christians come to church and we sit here and we sin all week and we're fine with it. And James says enough is enough. Jesus says in Revelation, either be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You taste horrible. And so James lovingly is talking to the church saying, if you've got sin in your life, you better get rid of it. You better get drastic. By the way, his brother Jesus, he said the same thing. If your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. If your right arm causes you to stumble, rip it off. 
Because it's better, better to enter life wounded and, and lame than to enter hell and destruction whole. Get serious about our sin. What will it take to be serious? Admit it to somebody. Confess your sin. Weep and wail. And then he ends in verse 10. Again, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. There is a reward coming in the end times for sure, forever. But he will exalt us here. There's an aspect of it here too where we get to experience joy, peace, purpose in this life. And this leads to blessing. Devotion to Jesus is to be wholehearted and all-consuming. So here's a little picture that might help. All right, so I got this flower. I got this flower, pretty flower, but I'm going to repot this flower. You know, maybe you gardeners know what this is. You're going to repot. Let's see. I need all my stuff. Okay, so I'm going to repot the flower. I'm going to pull it out and give it roots. Now, now what, do, what do plants live on? Well, we can try several things. You know, water. Water's good. But kind of like the world, there's other things that are kind of attractive and might taste good. So, so we've got here some A&W root beer and some Oreo cookies. Now, if I was a plant, I would love Oreo cookies and root beer. So here we can, we can I'm just going to make some, some soil here, some delicious worldly soil over here. This is going to be really good. You know, and you, who's cleaning up the, the uh, church this week? Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. All right, so, so I'm going to make this delicious. And who wouldn't want this? I mean, golly, root beer and cookies. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repot this plant. Do you think the plant will do well in this? What? But it tastes delicious. So we, we pull this plant. We get to pull this out. It's such a beautiful plant. It can do so much. So we can, we can put this, this soil stuff over here. Yeah, we'll put that here. And then we can add some water to this side. Now, kids, listen to me. Which one of these is going to make this plant thrive and grow and be beautiful and healthy? The right one. The right one? Why? Why is this the one that is going to make the plant thrive? Because that's what it needs. That's what it's made to feed on. It's made to feed on good soil and water. But what if I put it in Oreo cookies and root beer? No, uh, it, it won't do very well, will it? Wait a minute. What if, what if a little bit in both? Come on. How about that? Like, like we can have a little bit of the good stuff over here, like a little bit of, godliness on this side. We're going to pursue Jesus, but you know, the world still offers some other things we like, like root beer and uh, Oreo cookies. What will happen to this plant? It'll still die, won't it? Yeah, maybe, maybe if it's mostly on this side and just a few roots are over here in the root beer and the Oreos, maybe it'll still live, but it'll live a poisoned existence, won't it? It won't do as well. It's a similar thing with our Christian life. James is telling us Jesus alone will fulfill. Stop pursuing sin and worldliness. It will fall short every time. So get serious 
about your sin. Say no to the world. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Now we're going to finish. We're going to sing some more. Uh, But let God do what he needs to do in your heart right now. We're not doing the Lord's Supper today. We do that every other week. This isn't one of those. But during our time of response and singing, if God leads you to do something to respond, respond. We have this prayer wall over here. We have this prayer wall over here. Come up, get on your knees, weep and wail for your sin. Write your sin down on a piece of paper. You don't have to put your name on it. Stick it in the wall. Write it down. Do do whatever you want. But it's time. Get serious about your sin. These things in the world, whatever it is for you that you thought would fulfill and you've been pursuing today, let's say no to that and let's say yes to Jesus and pursue him alone. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you do fulfill. Thank you that you make promises you keep. Your promises, you said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God, when we walk in the spirit, when we walk abiding in you, life is abundant. It doesn't mean we're wealthy. It doesn't mean we're always healthy, but it does, it, it does mean we're content. It does mean we're at peace, which is a deeper happiness, a, a, a joy, a deeper happiness. And our life has great meaning. I thank you, Jesus, that by your grace, you have saved us. I also thank you, Jesus, that through your grace, we can walk in a way that glorifies you and is also best for us. Holy Spirit, I I beg you right now, be among us. uh, Convict us of sin. Lead us to respond in whatever way you would have us respond. But God, we want to be passionate, deep followers of you. Not one foot in the world, one foot in your kingdom. We want to be all in for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.